What's up, fam, and welcome to the Healthy Fit and Pain-Free Podcast. This podcast is meant to give you easy, implementable, no BS advice to help make you stronger, more resilient, and bring out your inner badass to help you get back to doing the things you love with the people you love. I am your host, Dr. Tyler Bordick. I am a physical therapist, a strength conditioning coach, and co-owner of Inner Strength Physio Fitness Athletics in Pittsburgh. If you're ready, jump on the bus, buckle in, and let's rock and roll. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Healthy Fit and Pain-Free Podcast. I am your host, Doc T, and we are on episode 48, Becoming a Barbot Athlete for Life with Dr. Michael Mash. I'm super excited about this episode. Uh, Dr. Mash and I actually kind of go way back in a sense, but it's been a few meeting points along the way um, of how we, you know, really met each other, and it's been pretty cool, and now we get to nerd out together, so it's awesome. Um, so just a little background, uh, Dr. Mash is the owner and founder of Barbell Rehab. Uh, Barbell Rehab is a con ed company uh, dedicated to helping fit and rehab professionals improve management of barbell athletes. Now, when we say barbell athletes too, I don't want you, if you've never lifted a barbell in your life, to just be like, well, this doesn't pertain to me, and then click, turn off the audio. This is really going to pertain to everybody. So don't just think that you have to lift the barbell for this to be um, specifically for you. But anyhow, uh, just so you actually know, he has a background. He's not some homeless guy off the street who just decided to start doing this on the side. Um, he does have a Bachelor of Science at St. Vincent, but then he went to get his doctorate in physical therapy from Duquesne University in 2016. Uh, his life mission is to decrease the barriers to strength training on a global level. Dr. Mesh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Doc. What a wonderful intro. I really appreciate that. Um, Super excited to see where this conversation heads today. And you already touched on some of the major points that I like to really uh, talk about, which is we need to get more people lifting weights, mm-hmm. right? It's what it really comes down to. And I really like the fact that you said, hey, even if you've never picked up a barbell in your life, this information is still going to pertain to you because it really is Barbells don't need to be something that is kept just to elite athletes. The general sure. population can certainly benefit from it. Yeah. And honestly, so I, yeah, I always like to go and why I chose to do this episode. Cause I don't just like do these. I don't just like pull these episodes out of, you know, where, but um, it's ironic because I've been wanting to get you on for a while because I, again, I've, I've been to your courses before. Uh, I love the approach that you have and you're, you know, you give professionals a knowledgeable approach of how to help the you know general population or athletes to get better and more efficient with a with any type of resistance training, yeah. um, but it also you make it on such an easy scale. I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in a good way. Is that you simplified enough to where people don't feel like they're taking a course. They feel like they're surrounded by other like professionals, and you're kind of just shooting the breeze really with like how to properly you know work out. You get what I mean? Yeah, that's exactly what we're trying to do. I mean, there's a there's so much information out there today on strength and conditioning and rehab. And what we really wanted to do was just organize it in a manner that can immediate that people can immediately immediately apply to the uh, the client standing in front of them, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of times I've left con ed courses with just like psh, information overload of like, okay, what do I do tomorrow? Sure. So the the fact that you're saying what you're saying really hits home for me because that's the exact message we're trying to convey here. Yeah, definitely. So it's, it's, it's the ironic thing though, is so, you know, we, we planned this out a few weeks back, so it's not like this is something that just happened, but the other day, for instance, I, I was joking around that we had a, a trap bar party in the gym. <laughs> so um, it was a deadlift day and we were doing um, cluster sets, you know, so for those of you don't, out there who don't know, like we basically work with women like 30 to 40 and up. Um, so we have, I mean, we have someone as, as young as uh, in their thirties there, but then we also have someone as old as 78 there. So it's, it's Ooh, a big awesome. range. Um, and we really try to, we really want to get them to realize how empower them to realize how strong they really are. And so we have a new person and she's in there. And like, again, we just had, we, uh, are really trying to work them up from like doing two kettlebells with a deadlift and we have a trap bar there and everybody, you know, one person does it, another person does it. Not, and all of a sudden everyone's like, I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to do it. 
And everybody starts listening to Strap, and you just see like some of these people that you remember when they first came through the door couldn't even get on the floor. And there they are lifting a trap bar with two 25 pound plates on both sides. And the one, uh, one newer member looks at them and she goes, wow, that's amazing. I couldn't even imagine doing that. And, and it like really hit, hit home the fact that like we were going to do this podcast because it really speaks out to people that I know it looks intimidating. A lot of times people feel like I'm never going to be able to do this. Yep. Um, But that's going to change today. That's so. right. I always say that literally one set of deadlifts can change somebody's lives. Is it oh, enough sure. to like cause massive physiological adaptation? Probably not, but one set can certainly flip that switch in somebody's mind and be like, you know what? I, I am stronger than I thought. And then mm-hmm. that's all it takes. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you say that. So during that trap bar party, um, one member who actually just lifted a trap bar for the first time that day, there was a barbell off to the side. Uh-huh. Um, for those who are a little bit more advanced and it had, you know, two 45 pound plates, one 45 pound plate on each side. So 135 pounds. And she's like, huh, I want to try that too. And she walks over and just starts repping it out. And like <laughs> everyone almost fell over because I was like, well, now we know your hidden talent. So <laughs> that's it. we've, you've, you've showed us all now you can't go back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So cool. So, you know, first question I wrote, and we kind of already went down this road, but like, why do you feel the general pop needs to lift the barbell or lift a kettlebell or a dumbbell or anything for that matter? Gotcha. And I, I, I like that you clarified that towards the end, because when I first, when I first started this company uh, six years ago, I was obsessed with forcing the barbell on absolutely everybody. <laughs> like you need to lift with this barbell um, in order to get healthy. But then over the last couple of years, we realized that there is a bigger issue here that only 20% of Americans are meeting the strength training guidelines of two times a week of full body strengthening, like minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we really need to do here is lower this barrier to exercise. How do we get more people exercising? One of the best ways is to have a couple different options, right? So barbell, just like you mentioned, barbell, kettlebell, trap bar. I am biased towards free weights. I think it allows somebody to really figure out how to move through uh, without any kind of constraints. But when it really comes down to it, getting people moving, loading them, progressively loading them is what's going to really reduce our risk of all of these nasty diseases later in life, cardiovascular disease, osteoporosis, osteopenia, sarcopenia, you name it. Mm -hmm. If we can just get people moving and load them and have them consistently do that for their entire life. I'm more concerned about the consistency and the adherency than the actual method of loading. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. No, for sure. Uh, I like what you said there too, about progressive overload. And this is something that people miss. So um, someone brought up the other day to me and they said, why do you Pro, like, why do you program the way you do? Like, why do we do the same thing on Monday for a month, but then you switch it the next month? And, you know, or like every day is like the same throughout them. Every day is different, but every week is the same throughout the month. And yeah. I said, because there's a thing we call progressive overload. And what progressive overload is, is it's you need to get better at a movement and you need to get more efficient with the movement. And with doing that, you're going to get stronger with the movement. So I expect you on week one and two to really just get the feel of it, maybe go up and wait a little bit, but really just get more efficient, like more efficient, more effective with it. And then week three, four, and then, you know, some months there's a fifth week in there, really start to see you hammer getting stronger because now you can, and now you know you can. Yeah, that's, that's a great way to do it. I like writing programs like that too, as far as like four to five week blocks. I find that that's like the perfect mixture of, okay, some consistency here. We're not just coming in and exercising and doing something different every day. Um, then you don't get any like effective data to progressively overload. But the fact of the matter is people don't want to do the same thing week after week for an entire year, right? So sure. that nice four to five week mark is enough to see objective progress, progressive overload, and then switch things up a little bit. And, I, and I'm, I'm assuming it's not a gigantic radical program change you do every month. Uh, something like for me, just switching out some of the accessory work, maybe mm-hmm. changing the rep scheme 
scheme a bit, keep things mm-hmm. interesting, but you're still progressively overloading in the long uh, scheme of things, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that's, um, and that's, you know, I, and I don't, I don't want to poo poo on any type of fitness programs here, but that's one thing I feel people do need to look into is, is the place they're going to, if they're going to a trainer or if they're going to a gym, if they're going to some sort of class, like if it's fun, great, I get it. Like you need that pull to like, make you yep. want to go. But at the same time, like you want to make sure too, that the people there are helping you do that. Cause that's how people get hurt. They, if they, if you go to a workout and it's different every single time you go there, like, cool, that's fun. But at the same time, like, if you don't have that movement down to a point and, and down to like, you should be able to consistently execute that movement correctly. If you don't have that, your risk of injury goes way up. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, it really comes down to the load management error, right? They're doing something that their body is not prepared to do. It's almost like the luck of the draw with some, like I said, just like you said, I don't want to poo poo on others, but like with some group fit classes, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's the luck of the draw. What are we going to do today? Mm-hmm. And it might be too much, too fast, too soon for somebody that doesn't have a solid foundation. Whereas if you are under the guidance of strength conditioning coach or a personal trainer that understands progressive overload, we can both simultaneously reduce injury risk, but, and also build work capacity to mm-hmm. reduce risk of future injury. Mm-hmm. So it's like a nice one, two punch when the programming is on par. Yeah, for sure. So one thing you mentioned earlier was the barrier. So why do you feel like there is such a barrier mm. to strength training? Gotcha. I think there's a couple of reasons here. Number one, we can't, People, people live busy lives. People are working 40, 50, 60 hours a week, and they are just not prioritizing um, their health. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong. I don't want to just be, I don't want to be that person that just says, hey, if you believe in it, you'll find some time to do it and like wag my finger and make these people feel bad for not prioritizing their health. But when somebody doesn't prioritize their health, it's maybe because they don't really understand the benefits of it, or they don't understand how to do it. Mm -hmm. So I think, or they're afraid to do it. So one of the biggest things is this time constraint. So if people think that their workouts need to be two to three hours long in order to reap benefits, they're not going to want to move forward with it. Mm -hmm. And and what we can do is we, as both physios, strength conditioning, uh, professionals, personal trainers, we can work around people's schedules, keep the sessions relatively shorter in order to, um, help them in fit it into their busy lifestyle. So it's more about working with them to fit it in their busy lifestyle mm-hmm. um, to show them, hey, it, you don't need to spend the entire evening every night. Let's schedule out a chunk. So the time constraint is the number one thing. And number two is, is fear, right? It's not knowing I'm afraid I'm going to get hurt. I don't want to screw things up. I feel okay now. I don't want to hurt my back. I don't want to hurt my knee. Maybe they have uh, a relative that is told them, oh yeah, you don't want to do deadlifts. It'll blow your back out or even worse. Maybe they've had a healthcare provider Uh. tell them that, right? They went to their physician and the physician just said, oh yeah, if you just walk around the neighborhood three to four times a week, you'll be good. So I think misinformation fear and time constraints for me would be the big three as far as barriers to strength training. No, yeah, I can definitely, I can definitely agree with that. It's funny. You mentioned too, I think sometimes we under now, granted, there's a lot of information out there, but we underestimate what people actually know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, so here's a, here's a good, for instance, the other day I had a member come to me and she's, she's worked out for a long time. Like she's been doing, um, she's been in some sort of exercise for a while and she goes, we, we have, uh, we do our own protein supplement here. And she said, so tell me about this product. And I was like, what's well, protein? Like, what, what would you like? To know?" she's like, well, does it, does it interact with any of my meds that I'm taking? Like, is it bad for me? You know? And she's asked me all these questions and it's just, you realize at that point, like, that you people just don't know, like people don't do a protein supplement or something like that, because they just don't know that it's just food, really. Yeah, or they associate it with big, beefy bodybuilders, like Mm -hmm. only only pro bodybuilders take that stuff. Yeah, like, no, yeah, they're probably taking a lot of other stuff. But (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yeah. But no, and that's and that's too, like you mentioned about 
you know, like doctors and stuff like that too. That's the other unfortunate is a lot of times it's misinformation. Mm-hmm. And that really segues well is the, you know, what misinformation do you feel like people do get about resistance training, barbell training, stuff like that, that really keeps them, you know, that really extends that barrier. Gotcha. I think the first one would be just fear of both heavyweights and the barbell itself. A lot of well-intended healthcare professionals who just don't understand what barbell training is, they just automatically jump the gun and think that barbell training is just like with protein supplements uh, for big beefy bodybuilders and powerlifters. So when maybe a physician thinks of a squat, they're thinking of a barbell back squat with tons of plates on either side. And Mm -hmm. why in God's green earth would anybody recommend a squat for a 70 year old female, male, whatever. So when I was treating, I still used to get, I used to get scripts that just would be underlined, no squats, no deadlifts, like no explanation with it. Sure. And I think they're well-intended because they don't want their clients to get hurt, but it's a double-edged sword here, right? Because if we don't get stronger and build up work capacity, having poor work capacity and poor strength is in of itself a risk factor for injury. So I think misinformation from healthcare professionals, orthopedics, um, general practitioners, and our profession as well, physical therapists, chiropractors, you name it. Um, I'm not dissing on any one profession because we're all at fault here. Um, And it might have to do with the legalities. Maybe, maybe a surgeon doesn't want to get sued in case, right? after like somebody with a knee replacements, they're doing squats and it, and it flares pain up. So maybe it's just, they don't want to get into litigation, but it, in the grand scheme of things, it is doing our clients and patients a disservice. Mm-hmm. And it's based on this old outdated model where uh, lifting in the seventies and eighties was just automatically associated with professional bodybuilders and powerlifters. Mm-hmm. And it's not that way anymore. We can load everybody. If you are a human capable of interacting with your environment, you should be strength training, hands mm-hmm. down. Yeah. I thought it's, you, it's funny you reminded me of this. I remember the one place I worked at, um, we had a lady who had a total knee replacement. And I was working on a very, I was working on bodyweight squats, but I got her to doing a um, very low load, like goblet type squat with a dumbbell, mm-hmm. just enough to just enough to like add a little bit more. Like, I mean, she was blowing through 15 bodyweight squats, like no tomorrow. So it's like, well, this isn't going anywhere anymore. So I had her do that. So no pain, no problem. Goes to her surgeon. I get a call the next day and her surgeon just blows up oh on me gosh. about her squatting. And he's like, no squats after, you know, no squats after a total knee replacement. And my reply is, well, how do you get down to the commode? Well, how do you get up from the couch? You squat like you have to squat. And so like I and I, I agree with you. I do think a lot of it is we're just afraid of people getting hurt. You know, yeah, we yeah. took we took the Hippocratic Oath to do, you know, to do no harm. And I think people sometimes just prioritize that. But like you said, I think it's more of a disservice than anything. Yeah. And it's just like you mentioned, these big basic barbell lifts are functional movement patterns that we do every single day. And what can happen is if we underload somebody chronically, if we chronically underload somebody, then they get into their later years. And what I like the term, I don't know who coined the term. It wasn't me. Um, People as they age can start living a one rep max lifestyle. So you and I know what it feels like to do a one rep max squat. It's, Uh it's hard. It's draining. Can you imagine what, can you imagine if a one rep max squat was standing up out of a chair? Can you oh, imagine yeah. that if it took, it took all of your effort to stand up out of a chair and then you have to do that six, seven, eight times a day, mm-hmm. no wonder our older individuals are so tired. They yeah. don't have a, they're doing one rep max squats all day long by standing up out of a chair, mm-hmm. going up and down the stairs is a massive cardiovascular event because they don't have the underlying strength to do it. Mm-hmm. How do we make standing up out of a chair easier for people? How do we make going up and down stairs easier for people? We train, we train and we find their entry point. It, we're not loading up granny with a 315 pound back squat on day one. It might just be a body weight partial squat. You start mm-hmm. there and you build from there and you can help reduce one rep max living. Sure. And I like what you said there too, about, you know, as they get older, because 
you know, like my biggest pet peeve is when I hear people get their parents like the stand up recliner, like mm-hmm. the recliner that helps you to stand up on its own. And I get it. Like, for instance, my pap, my pap has bad hips. Uh, he has a bad back, stuff like that. But the best thing that they can do is to keep on doing that because then, it, you know, because like you said, it's bad if it's a one rep max squat every day when you're doing it, but now you're taking away their ability to even do a one rep max squat. Mm-hmm. And what happens if they get into a situation, you know, they're stuck. Yeah. Yeah. They're stuck. So yeah, yes. it's about finding that happy medium, right? And it always, it's like the load spectrum. We can't overload people. If you consistently overload people, you're looking at risk of injury. If you consistently underload people, you're also looking at risk of injury. So it's about finding that sweet spot enough to force the adaptation to help them do the things that they want to do without going overboard and without totally avoiding as well. Sure. A lot of it. Now, do you feel like a lot of it is also just mentally? Yeah, but uh, I do. I think I know where you're going with this one, but can you extrapolate a little bit? Sure. So one thing I always talk about with someone when they're new through the door is a lot of there's there's two pieces to this is one. Yes, we have to get you better with movement again, like I keep hammering it away, like we have to get you more efficient, we have to get you a little bit stronger with it. But then with that comes the mental fortitude and the confidence to do those Mm. such things. And then whenever you gain that confidence, then it makes you realize how how strong you actually are, and you become to again, start doing more things. Yeah, because now you're basically touching on the science of behavioral change, right? Yeah, that's what it really comes down to starting and building habits and keeping habits. Mm -hmm. And that's what it is going on the the journey of starting a strength training program and sticking to it is the crux of behavioral change. And -hmm. there's always going to be barriers to that as far as well, I I don't, um, as you mentioned, I don't um, feel like I can keep doing this, like, maybe people get bored, maybe it gets too difficult. Um, So that's where the role of the coach can really play a significant part as making sure that all we stick to the plan that allows us to have progressive overload, but we keep it exciting too. People need to enjoy it. You don't need to enjoy every single exercise, right? It shouldn't be easy, but we need to make sure that we're fostering an environment where people look forward to Mm coming to the gym, not as a form of punishment, but doing it as helping people see it as a way of gratitude versus punishment. So I'm big on that. And I think the coach can really help with that aspect. Now, what do you typically teach as far as like your um, your courses about how a coach can better fulfill that expectation. I think it always a hundred percent comes down to what are that client's goals. And I'm not talking goals of, I want to be stronger. I want to be more flexible. I want to be more mobile. I'm talking those deep seated goals of what do you want in your life? And if you can connect with a client on that level, if you can connect with a grandfather that says, I want to be able to toss football in the backyard with my grandkid, but my shoulder feels weak. That's what you bring it back to every time you really connect with people. And that when, when you can connect with somebody on that level, instead of, Oh, I want to be more flexible. I want to be more strong, but why, why Mm -hmm. that's where you can really always bringing it back to somebody might think, well, why am I doing this rear foot elevated split squat? It's torture here's why, right? Mm -hmm. You mentioned that you want to be able to go up and down stairs and not have to be huffing and puffing when you get to the top of the stairs. This exercise will help with that. So continually reframing it to the client's deep-seated goals is what we like to teach. You made me think about, did you ever see the Christmas commercial of the grandfather with the kettlebell? No. Oh my gosh. I cannot believe that's hilarious. So uh, you need to look this up as soon as we get off here. But so there's a Christmas commercial and I can't remember what it's for now. Oh, I can't, yeah, I can't remember what, what company did it, but it's this grandfather. And so it starts off as like, it's, it's like fall or like mm-hmm. the end of summer. And this grandfather like gets up every morning, he walks out into his shed and he grabs this kettlebell and he like yanks it off the, the shelf and it like hits the floor and he like grabs it and like hardly gets it off the ground. 
<laughs> and then it shows the next day he does it and he keeps doing this. And you can see like the, the, the seasons are changing. And eventually like he's taking this kettlebell outside and he like lifts it up and does like a, you know, a clean with it, gets it up to his neck and then slams it back down. And like people are walking through the neighborhood. They see him. They're just like shaking his shaking their head. Like they're obviously judging him. They have no idea what in the hell he's doing. <laughs> and eventually it gets to a point where he grabs a kettlebell and he's able to completely like put it up over his head for a couple reps. And again, people are like kind of judging, but people are starting to kind of accept it. Well, then it's Christmas more. It's like Christmas day. And his granddaughter comes running in and she runs over the tree and he grabs her and he picks her up over his head so she can put the star on the tree. Oh, I need to see that commercial. Oh my gosh. Like I'm not an emotional guy. I literally almost started crying when I saw that commercial. Cause the stuff like that is. That's the stuff that matters, man. That's, yeah. If we can connect with, if we can find what, cause that's, that's what people want to be able to do. People don't want to lift. People don't, people don't really care about just getting stronger for the sake of getting stronger. I mean, some do, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, but most are looking for, I want to be able to do these things that really matter in my life. And that's what we can help people do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I like what you said too, about we need to focus on their goals. Cause I, so, um, we're a part of a, a business mastermind group and, the one thing that the guy who runs it said is like, the worst thing you can do is put a picture of yourself shirtless on social media for people to see. <laughs> Cause he's like, no one wants to see that. And it scares them. Yeah. Um, and it's like the good point with that is a lot of times I think us as coaches is we like to think that everybody's us. Yeah. That they, you know, they enjoy going to the gym. They enjoy one rep max squats. They enjoy grunting through sweating you know they enjoy taking pictures of their sweat outline on the mat after they're done and no that's very few people actually enjoy doing that yeah and i've even like in when i first started barbell rehab i posted a ton of videos i'm like here's my workout here's what i did and uh, it was fun but recently over the last couple of years i like shied away from that um, mainly because I was like, I don't know if people even really want to see this. People want to see actionable information. Um, so now I wonder if people think that I don't even lift, right? Where did, <laughs> where did all of his lifting videos go, go, but it, it touches on what you were just speaking about. Yeah. So very cool. So, you know, with that, you know, there's always a unique perspective that we gain. Like we just talked about there, like gaining the unique perspective as us as either fitness professionals or like younger i mean i'd like to still think we're considered younger <laughs> oh yeah like yeah for sure um you know but it's like appealing to those so really switching gears here of unique perspective how do you feel all of this changes when we bring in the female athlete because you one of your courses has to do, do with um properly training a female athlete where do you feel these unique perspectives and, and expectations come in there yeah so love to chat about this because just one to two years ago, it wasn't at the forefront of my brain. So when I went to teach our first two-day live course in State College PA, I was talking about the Valsava maneuver and how we recommend breath holding during heavy barbell lifts to maximize intra-abdominal pressure. And the female gym owner raised her hand and she said, this is all good, but how does this apply for women who are having problems with urinary incontinence during lifting. They're leaking urine when they lift. And I just gave her a blank stare. I said, I don't know. Thank you for asking. And I'm going to figure it out. So that was the catalyst. So that was almost exactly a year ago to the date. So I went on a search to find an expert who knew these things. And I came across Dr. Sophia Veris, who is a world record powerlifter, uh, USAPL, and uh, doctor physical therapy and pelvic health floor expert. And I was like, this is perfect. Can you make a course <laughs> that really talks about, and the name of the course is unique considerations for the female barbell athlete. So a couple of things, and I want to preface this conversation with, I am not the expert on this. Sure. I am only talking about what I've known from what Dr. Sophia taught me because she made the course, but I know enough to have an intelligent conversation about it. Um, the unique, a couple unique perspectives we see are urinary incontinence during lifting. Now we yeah. don't want to totally say this is a female thing because it can happen with men. It's just not as prevalent, sure. but it is very prevalent in, uh, in women, especially women that are pushing the limit with lifting heavier. 
Um, one thing that Dr. Sophia is vehemently against uh, is the concept of, oh, this just happens. We don't need to like, it just happens. Women pee when they lift. That's something that we're trying to fight against because it's not that it just happens. We think that there's not enough help and there's not enough open healthcare practitioners that want to help these women. So they're afraid. A lot of them are afraid to bring it up. Like, can you imagine walking into a, um, a therapist? Maybe you don't feel comfortable with him and you're saying, yeah, my problem is I'm peeing myself when I lift, right? So it's not something that's easily talked about. So we talk a lot about, and it really comes down to pressure management, just because the anatomy of the female pelvis and the pelvic floor muscles are a little bit different than the anatomy of men. So it leaves them a little bit more predisposed to these issues. So that's one thing is managing in doing things to mitigate the risk of urinary incontinence in females during lifting. So that was probably one of the big reasons I reached out. And one of the major things that um, we talk about, and the other thing would be the hormone changes, right? Women have different hormones than men. Mm -hmm. And we see changes during the menstrual cycle. So Dr. Sophia talks about a lot about menstrual cycle triggered training, where we see things like spikes in estrogen during ovulation. And she always talks about, Hey, if we're pushing an athlete, um, this is a really good time to load them up with the spike in estrogen during ovulation. Whereas times like during the menses or during the period, we might want to scale things back a bit. So as a coach, if you're routinely working with women, um, it's not like you need to have them keep a journal of their menstrual cycle and hand it over to you. Right. But it's something just to keep in mind mm -hmm. because things are going to be different based on which part of the menstrual cycle they're in. And if they're on birth control, like uh, hormonal birth control, then that's not as relevant. We don't see such swings in these hormones, but I would say the hormones and the urinary incontinence are the two big things that we see with female barbell athletes. Sure. And to even add on to that too, because, you know, with that, it, it speaks a little bit more to like the younger female generation, but then, you know, on the opposite spectrum, you have the same thing. You have women who, if they've had babies, if they've, if they are pregnant, Ooh, like yeah. they're ones too that, I mean, you know, they, their bladder is very sensitive and yeah, they might not trickle on the platform, but at the same time, like it's, you have one heavy set of deadlift, they're running the bathroom right away. Yeah. A lot of, and we talk about that too. I can't believe I forgot to mention pregnancy and postpartum. A lot of myths with that too, right? Of this idea that as soon as somebody gets pregnant, they have to stop all activity, right? And that's just, that's going to set somebody up for failure. So we try, we recommend keeping uh, women as active as possible through their pregnancy. Now they don't need to be setting one rep maxes like one week before their due date, right? So we don't want to swing this pendulum the whole way, but we are big advocates of, hey, let's keep training through pregnancy. But just like training in the presence of pain, there are going to be some modifications that you want to make training in the presence of pregnancy. Simple things like widening squat stance and turning the toes out more to allow some room for the belly to sort of sink in between the legs can be one limiting significant time in the supine position in the later stages. So swapping out uh, flat barbell and dumbbell benches for incline dumbbell barbell benches can be beneficial, things like that. It's always about the modification versus just, Hey, you're pregnant. You should just probably rest until it's time. That stuff's that's not cutting anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And there's definitely, there's two spectrums there too, right? You, you, uh, like you said, you have the one practitioner who says, all right, well, you're pregnant now. So you basically have to lay in a bed for the next, <laughs> you know, um, next nine months until you have your baby. But then you, but then there's the, the opposite part of the spectrum, which isn't a bad thing necessarily, but you know, you'll see like a CrossFit athlete who is, you know, 30 weeks in, and they're doing like a max overhead squat. And so it's like throws another signal there, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, that's when we just really come down to risk versus reward. I'm not here to tell people how to make their decisions, but like, once you get way late into that 
pregnancy, what is the risk versus reward versus going heavy, 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 right? Mm -hmm. And for me, I don't see it. I don't see it being there, but I am not in that person's brain and not the highly competitive person they are. So who am I to say to scale back? But yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. And in addition to that too, you mentioned, you know, like menstrual cycles, but even, you know, some of our ladies there, um, they've went through metapods, you know, metapods, post-metapausal. Mm -hmm. So it's other considerations there as far as, you know, temperature management, um, you know, they're going to have fluctuations in their mood and, and so on certain days. And it's just giving them the, giving them the support, both physically, emotionally, and mentally to be able to make it through that workout whenever they're going through, through certain stages of menopause or even postmenopausal. Yeah. And that's something we also talk about in the course in our last module, like across the lifespan. So it's in it, there's this myth that like postmenopausal women shouldn't lift heavy, right? It's just, oh, your bones are starting to get brittle, but heavy lifting in when programmed properly is probably the best thing for them, mm -hmm. right? To build that bone mineral density. So dispelling myths that postmenopausal women have to take it easy, um, that's what we're trying to do here. Now we don't want to make a load management error and have somebody that's totally new to strength training in their sixties and overload them. Sure. It's, we just build them up. There's, it's not that different. Um, we don't need to treat them so much differently, but just recognizing, Hey, there are some hormonal things going on here in the background. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, with that too, um, I've, I've actually read studies on, um, osteoporosis and everything where they say even as high as like 75% one rep max is very beneficial to get them to, you know, you won't necessarily improve bone density per se. I mean, you might have a good reaction to it, but it'll definitely help to at least maintain your bone density by going that heavy. And that's something that most people can't even fathom doing. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's once you start to get into your later years, a lot of it comes down to, okay, we realize how this, like, as we get older, we lose muscle mass, we lose strength, but continuing to train can really help mitigate that and can really help you preserve your function in your later years as long as possible. So that's always something that I'm, Hey, look, we're not looking to turn you into a bodybuilder. I just want to help you be able to stand up out of a chair and go up and down your stairs for as long as possible. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And that's where to, you know, kind of going back to what we talked about earlier about the mental aspect of it, that is probably, you know, I'm going to give away my secret here, but <laughs> that's the benefit of a kettlebell because kettlebells, A, have, you know, the weight's not projected on them like it typically is a dumbbell. I mean, it is, yeah. but it's a little bit more hidden. Um, and B, a lot, of a lot of kettlebells are in kilograms. So for instance, like <laughs> the other day, one of our members like, Oh, you know, I won't be able to lift that. Like I, the most I've lifted here is 10 is 10 pounds. And I'm like, what do you mean 10 pounds? And she like uh -huh. put like pointed at the one dumbbell. And I said, no, no, that that's 10 kilograms. That's uh that's over 20 pounds for you. And she was shocked. Just couldn't believe that she could actually lift that amount of weight. And I think sometimes they underestimate what they can actually do and get up to. Yeah, that's sneaky. That's sneaky. Good old <laughs> 10, kilograms. Ten pounds or twenty-two pounds, right? That's sneaky. When I was in, when I taught in Italy, everything was in kilos there, and I had to do all this math in my brain. Um, but yeah, and the best part, what you, I actually set like, uh, I ended up floor pressing more than I anticipated because I made a math error yeah. with the kilos, and I was like, oh, this is only a hundred some kilos or like mid hundred kilos, and I did the math wrong. So I, that's that's interesting. I yeah. like your little secret. Yeah. Again, I just gave it away, but they'll, they'll forget. They always do. So, so we, you know, we mentioned about osteoporosis. We mentioned about um, some of these other things that can kind of sneak up. What common injuries do you feel like are brought up to you a lot, especially with like the 30 and up population and especially in females and males as well. But what, what type of injuries, where do you feel like there's always, you know, misinformation, misconceptions and um, better ways that we can handle those injuries across the spectrum. Yeah. So I would say number one's back pain. Sure. Back pain is 
actually, if we look at the distribution of back pain, it peaks in middle age and declines as we age. So that 30 to 50 year old range, or more specifically, the 40 to 50 year old range has the highest prevalence of back pain. And then it starts to tail off as we get older. So back pain would be number one, if we're working with middle-aged adults, and mainly because there are just so many factors that play into back pain. We used to look at back pain really uh, biomechanically, like a car where somebody's spine was broken, out of place, misaligned, and we needed to stabilize it, and we needed to put it back in place. And this idea sort of can, can scare people and lead them to think, oh boy, I'm, I'm fragile. Like my bones in my back just move in and out very easily. When we started to dig into the research more and see why is the highest prevalence in middle-aged folks? Like you would think, oh, the older I get, the, the worse my back gets. So the more pain that we have as we age, but as mentioned, it peaks at 40 to 50. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where this holistic approach really comes into play because so many things can, as you know, affect pain. What is, how is somebody currently coping with their life stressors? What's their diet like? What's their sleep like? These are some of the bigger questions I'm asking uh, when I'm dealing with somebody with back pain, because if we can hit it from all angles and just encourage people to get moving versus focusing on, ah, you're broken here, you're weak here. If we can get people to zone out and just get them moving, that's how, in my opinion, we should be tackling back pain here in the 21st century, right? So yeah, back pain. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and shameless plug here, but um, I the, I did a podcast not too long ago that was all centered around why low back pain does occur. And it, it's funny, I had someone listen to one of, one of the members brought up the other day, she goes, I never knew there was so many reasons why I could have back pain. And yeah. I said, yeah, you and pretty much everybody else doesn't realize that. So, um, and I like how you mentioned that it is like, it's a 21st century thing that we need to get away from this whole mechanical, like you're broken. Cause I like, can, how many people have you had come into your office where they said, oh, you know, and they give you this laundry list full of like things that they've experienced in their life of why they're having back pain. It's like, it's probably not that. Yeah. Yeah. They'll say, I have bulging disc here, herniated disc here, degenerative disc here. And when we look at the research, a lot of people have this and don't have pain. These are very commonly occurring things. If we look at something like disc degeneration, like if you're in your 80s, there's a 98% chance that you have disc degeneration, Uh even if you don't have pain. So like discs degenerate over time, and this is not necessarily a bad thing. It's a naturally occurring process, but- we have things other than our discs that can help us, right? We have muscles, we have ligaments, we have um, fascia, all of these things um, are living things that can be trainable that can sort of not can make that degenerative disc, not as big as a big of a deal. These, these big, long, scary words like degenerative disc disease sound extremely scary, but I've, I've said it now. I don't know if I'll be saying it a decade from now when more research comes out, but to me, degenerative disc disease is wrinkles on the inside yep. and something that just happens as we age. You, you get gray hair as you age, you get a gray Un- spine. Unfortunately. But, yeah, I, I'm, I'm kidding. I know. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I feel you in there. No, I, I've told this story on here before too, but uh, like years ago, I, I had this horrible, um, issue that came this horrible intestinal issue that that came out of nowhere and like this this went on for two to three weeks and I was getting back pain and everything from it like it was just really affecting me completely and so they sent me to get a CT scan and just to like check my bowels and everything like that and ended up going away we don't even know what really caused it but when I went to the doctor, they're like well the you know you mentioned about back pain well the reason being you have back pain is because you have degenerative disc disease what? And I was like, Hmm. Okay. Not realizing my background. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll take that for what it is now as like someone who really enjoys powerlifting and like heavier lifting, heavier deadlift. It's not uncommon to get like a little bit more and it's not even degeneration. It's just like thickening. It's mm-hmm. thickening of the spine to support that. Yeah. Um, and that's probably what they saw, but once the illness went away, my, my back was fine. My back's been fine. I, I don't have back problems. 
Yeah. And so that's like a lesson for people out there. Like your, your, your bones will adapt. Just like we talked about with lifting for older ages, like your bones will adapt. And what sometimes they see on, you know, any type of imaging or anything like that might just be their good adaptations, but it's all in perspective of the person reading it. Exactly. Exactly. Like we even, there's some that say, I don't need to go too down this wormhole. There's some that say like, we see an increased rate of like spondylolisthesis with gymnasts. And mm-hmm. maybe that's a positive adaptation to allow them to get into more extension. We see mm-hmm. labral tears in throwers. Maybe that's a positive adaptation to allow them to get more external rotation when they throw. It's, it's this whole idea of the physios and the strength and conditioning coaches really pushing the industry forward are trying to uh, get rid of this idea that the car is like a machine that needs mm-hmm. to be fixed because we are adaptable organisms Mm -hmm. that adapt with time and load. And it's not like if something gets broken, it needs replaced automatically. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. So where else do you see, like, you know, going back to the unique perspective of the female, of course, where else do you see like in that middle-aged female where injuries really seems to be prevalent besides back pain? Um, I don't, I don't think this would be specific to, to women, um, but I would say the shoulder is the other big part. Oh, so yeah. if I, the, the back and the shoulder, just because it's such a mobile joint that's required that we use to interact with our environment. Um, I would definitely say it's the shoulder and especially in, um, folks that have repetitive jobs where maybe they're doing the same thing all day long. Um, and they don't have the work capacity for that. And they don't have enough movement variability to split it up because then we could go down things like, oh push-ups or push-ups and bench pressing are bad for the shoulder no what's bad for the shoulder is not not it be it it being not strong enough to do the things that you want to do so shoulders would be another big one we see a lot in uh, crossfit where people don't or they they don't really have the mobility to get up into the positions they need to and then they do those exercises for high load high intensity and high volume and then we run into issues so definitely i would say across both genders it would be uh the shoulder as number two yeah yeah don't paint all the walls in your house every day <laughs> and not expect to get some sort of shoulder pain from it i know and then that's another thing where we see things like uh rotator cuff tears that might have just been there like a good story is this um i worked with a guy who was in his 70s he had no shoulder pain whatsoever and then his wife said, hey, hey, you need to go out and hang those Christmas lights. So what did he do? He spent two hours on a ladder with his arms above his head. And keep in mind, this man doesn't exercise, but he had no pain. Then the next morning he woke up, he couldn't lift his arm, just couldn't lift his arm. There's the, the a <laughs> shrug sign. So thought something was absolutely horrible, horribly wrong. He went to the orthopedic, got an x-ray, no major issues with the x-ray. They said, go to physical therapy for three times a week for four weeks. He did. He came to me. It got marginally better over four weeks, Mm -hmm. went back, got an MRI and said, you have a full thickness rotator cuff tear and we need to do surgery. And now this man assumed that the hanging of the lights caused the rotator cuff tear when what's more likely is he might've had this rotator cuff tear there for a decade. And he did a load management error. He did something he wasn't prepared for. They MRI it and they see the, the, the tear there. So the, what, what ended up happening was, and it's something that I do want to I'll touch on at the end of this, is some rehab takes time. It's a process. It's a, it's a process. When we look at things like shoulder pain or the, the overarching term we may use is subacromial pain syndrome or rotator cuff related shoulder pain. That the natural course of history for that six to 12 months. Yeah. Like it's not going to get better. Uh, Most of the time, it's not going to get better in four weeks. And that doesn't mean the person failed physical therapy. We just didn't give it enough time. So I know I went off topic there, but. No, I I like that though. That's a really good example because you do hear that all the time is um, for one, people do, they just, and it's always spring, like around this time is typically when you see people's injuries go up because it's like haven't done shit for a few months. And then they go out, they start raking leaves. They start taking down things, cutting down trees, moving shrubs, moving bags of mulch and all that stuff. Then they wonder why 
why they get injured. And that's typically why it is, is again, no load management prior to that. And then you have limited capacity and then you try to do something and it just doesn't, yeah. doesn't work out in your favor. <laughs> that's why, that's why we're here. We can help guide people to make, to help them make better decisions, right? Yes, definitely. So how do you, you know, obviously uh, your course is majorly based around this. Like how do you properly incorporate lifting for life? It always comes down to our concept of the entry point. We, we think that the best way for people to get stronger and to be able to live a healthy lifestyle into their later years is to train the major patterns that you're doing on an everyday life that you're doing your everyday life. So incorporating a squat pattern, a hinge pattern, a lunge, and your horizontal press, horizontal pull, vertical press and vertical pull, but allowing for some variety and scaling within those patterns. So five years ago, if you would have talked to me, I would have said every single person should be low bar back squatting, conventional deadlifting and barbell bench pressing. And if you're not, you're like less of a human than the rest of us. <laughs> but all that does is put up a barrier. That's, sure. a, that's adding an unnecessary barrier. What if somebody doesn't have enough shoulder external rotation to get into a good low bar back squat? Or what if somebody has low back pain with the start position of a conventional deadlift? The whole point of our course is that's okay. We have options. Mm -hmm. Just because your low back hurts at the start position of a conventional deadlift does not mean that you need to go home and rest till it feels better. Can we try a sumo deadlift? Can we try a rack pull? Can we try a trap bar deadlift? Can we try a elevated deadlift? There are so many options where we can keep people working out in the presence of pain um, without complete rest. The only time complete rest is going to be warranted is if there's some sort of crazy red flag symptom or somebody is like systemically sick or ill, or it is like fresh out of a surgery where you actually mm -hmm. are trying to protect the site of injury. So I think what I'm trying to say here is giving people options, having options within these patterns, just like you mentioned kettlebell. I would have never thought that five years ago, I the word kettlebell might not even have come out of my mouth five years ago. Um, but we have a bigger issue here and that is we need options. And mm -hmm. that is, I think the key to incorporating lifting for life is having the skill set as a personal trainer or strength coach to realize what option on this continuum, what squat variation is going to be best for this client, which hinge variation is going to be best for this client. So that's why I think it really comes down to. No, that's great. I, lo I love that. And um, you know, it goes back to what you said earlier. Un unfortunately, there are bad practitioners, there's bad PTs, bad chiros, there's bad trainers. And it's really about you need to find someone who is knowledgeable and knows what they are doing to where they can do those modifications. And realize too, that like modifications are not bad. Like mo if, you, if someone has to modify for you, it doesn't mean that you are less of a human, as you put it, I know, than somebody else. It just means we have a goal. You have a goal. You came to us with a goal. We need to, you know, fluctuate this workout and adapt this movement to you mm -hmm. based on your goal for the best intended outcome. Yep. Because guess what? If you do a modification for your entire life, let's say you have to rack pull or pull, do deadlifts from blocks uh, for your entire life, you're beating 80% of Americans. Because oh, for sure. So that's like, I always like framing that where people are like, oh, this is a modification. This is a regression. This means it's not as good as the main thing. I'm like, if sometimes modifications are temporary, sometimes they are permanent, right? Depending on the situation, the client, but we are still loading. We're still progressively loading. And you are now beating 80, not that you're trying to beat the other 80%, but you know what I mean? Sure. You're now adhering to the strength training guidelines and leveling up your health in all aspects. Mm -hmm. And we talked about this the other day in a meeting is at that point too, people need to realize that when you start being concerned with your modification, you're now thinking about every everybody else in the room and you're not thinking about yourself and what you need. Exactly. Exactly. Modifications can be tough in a group setting too, especially like group fit where, oh man, it looks different than everybody else's. Like one time I worked with a lady who had really bad extension-based back pain and the, they were doing overhead walking med ball lunges in the, in the group and they were killing her. 
And part of my treatment was like, hey, let's hold some dumbbells down by the side and have you lean forward a bit. And it was instantly a pain-free lunge variation. And we had, I had to say, hey, look, this might look a little bit different than what the rest of the class is doing, but that's okay because it's good for you and it's going to make it feel comfortable for you and allow you to participate with more enjoyment and reap the benefit, the physiological benefits as well. Yeah. Yeah. Cause honestly, and I love this. I did a, a course with uh, Mike Reynolds and Eric Cressy. And one of the things that they always bring up is you just don't do, like, and this, this is horrible wording, but you don't deserve to go overhead. Like, and most people don't ever actually, and, and that's a good thing. It's a good thing. You don't deserve to go overhead because you now are aware. And I think awareness is key. Um, the problem is most of the population is not, does not deserve to go overhead yet. And they try to, and that's where injuries happen. Right. Yeah. They just do it too. Like you, they never do any overhead work. And then all of a sudden we throw them into variations where it's a lot of time up there, a lot of load, too much frequency. And then we run into trouble. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Well, as much as I hate to bring this plane in for a landing, because this has been an awesome conversation. We could probably talk for five hours about this stuff. Probably. Um, as you know, for anyone who's listened before, I always love to end this show with, you know, three actionable items. What are three things that our listeners can take from this episode today and utilize it later today and, you know, become better and become a, you know, more efficient, safer, I'll use that in big terms, um, borrow athlete for life. Nice. Let's start with number one for general population. There are no prerequisites for starting a strength training program. I don't care if you've never strength trained before. I don't care if you feel like you're too uh, overweight, too out of shape, whatever you think you may be that doesn't, whatever you think that is preventing you from starting a strength training program, there are no prerequisites. Find a good coach and they will help you start. So don't be afraid to start. It doesn't matter where you're starting from. We can always scale an exercise to meet you where your needs are. So that'd be number one. Number two, play the long game with injuries. Like when, when, when pain pops up, don't always expect it to go away within a few days and don't be frustrated if it doesn't. The whole goal with training is to train for life. I want to see, I want to successfully help somebody train from the age of 15 to 85. And if that means taking a few months and scaling back because there's pain, take it. We're going to still train through this, but try not to get frustrated in the presence of pain and always zone out and think, hey, all right, if my back hurts and I can't do this very specific variation for three to four months, that's okay because I still have another 50 years to train. And then number three, don't fear the barbell. It's nothing any more scary than any other exercise. If you want to start working with barbells, then find somebody that can help you do that. They make barbells that are less than 45 pounds. You don't always have to start with 45 pounds. So don't inherently assume that the barbell is dangerous. So that would be my three key takeaways. I love those. I'm not even going to add to those. I'm going to leave those <laughs> where they are and I'm going to let them sprout, sprout like they should. Nice. Very cool. Um, you know, Mike, it's been great having you on today. Where can people find you? Uh, thanks for having me on. First of all, if you would like to learn more about me, uh, my company again is Barbell Rehab. I am most active on Instagram at Barbell Rehab. Recently, I started TikTok. Look out. I'm getting on the, the oh, youngins boy. train. I know. But anyway, don't Instagram is the main place <laughs> at Barbell Rehab. Or if you have any questions, just feel free to email me, michael at barbellrehab.com. Very cool. Um, you know, for everybody, I hope you guys took a lot from this today. Um, you know, again, uh, you know, Dr. Mash, very knowledgeable, very awesome guy to have on here. I definitely would love to do this again. And, you know, any other questions, you know, where you can reach me. Uh, this is the Healthy Fit and Pain-Free Pittsburgh podcast. Love you all and have a great week. Thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. Do, 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 do. Thank you all for checking out this week's episode of the Healthy Fit and Pain-Free Podcast. If you would like more content that is easily implementable and no BS, you can join our Facebook page at Healthy Fit and Pain-Free Podcast. 
Uh, to learn more about Inner Strength, visit our website at innerstrengthpgh.com or you can simply email us, us at info at innerstrengthpgh.com. We have two locations in Pittsburgh right now. One is our West location in Coriopolis slash Robinson, PA. And our second location, which just recently opened, is in the South in Lawrence, PA, in the southern part of Pittsburgh. We also partner up with K-Specific Nutrition. They are a locally owned business full of dietitians, registered credentialed dietitians who can help you with just general nutrition, sports needs, and also medical information. You can also contact me at Tyler at innerstrengthpgh.com or check me out on social media at drperiodtyler underscore Bordick. Thank you all again. We'll see you on next week's episode.